0: I don't think much about the afterlife, heaven or hell, the end times, Judgment Day, eternal life, the rapture, etc. I used to. <laughs> that used to be big for me, huge, the hugest, nothing huger. And if nothing else, you can, take, you can tell by the sheer number of ways that I've named it that I talked about and concerned myself with it so much that I needed a whole cadre of largely interchangeable words to keep my talk about it fresh and interesting. There was a whole lexicon related to the end times, including some rather technical jargon, such as pre- and post-millennial dispensationalism, and a whole hermeneutic of apocalyptic texts such as Daniel and the book of Revelation and numbers analysis and all sorts of There's a whole thing that I was pretty immersed in at one point in my life. At one point in my life, this was all paramount, and all of life, all of faith, was about professing the right thing and then living in the right way so as to avoid the eternal lake of fire and instead to secure my eternal salvation and to lock down my room in that great mansion in the sky. Like so many transformations of belief systems, mine was both slow and gradual, and also in some ways sudden and cataclysmic. I hardly think of the afterlife or judgment day at all these days, mostly because pretty much everything that I felt certain about knowing at one point in my life has been replaced by a pretty confirmed uncertainty and not knowing. And because my theology and my understanding of faith got a whole lot more this worldly for a whole lot of reasons, including noticing that Jesus seemed pretty concerned about the well-being of people and systems who were around him on this solid, earthy ground, and seemed, as I read the gospels kind of anew with more adult-like eyes seemed not at all preoccupied with the eternal state of souls the way that my sort of church and faith milieu and community around me was and i recall today's passage that we just heard from matthew 25 being pretty crucial for me at a significant point on that journey of faith and as my theology and my understanding of god and sense of what the heart of a a life of faith was and how that shifted for me, I recall saying, the only time Jesus ever tells us what we will be judged for come judgment day is how we treat the least, the last, and the lost. He doesn't mention professions of faith, saying the right words, believing the right things, No, he seems to indicate that we'll be judged on how we treated people here and now, responding to basic and profound human needs. I recall saying that a lot in that time of transition. And I've pretty much never stopped loving this text. I still love it to this day. Despite the everlasting fire and eternal punishment that is even here, and in these parables for Lent from Matthew, we are getting no break. No break from the weeping of gnashing of teeth and the eternal fire. And since I'm off on a little tangent, how about another? Goats get a really bad rap in this story. And i just like to do a shout-out for, if nothing else, the really delicious cheese that their milk produces. Anybody else? Chef? Mm-hmm. Hashtag not all goats. For me... My time at Goshen College was pretty key in finding my way through this transformation, this shift of faith understandings. And I had at Goshen, for other people's other places, but I had there good community for whom, um, with whom to think and feel and wonder and pray and study my way into new understandings. To begin to f- claim a faith that was mine and it was ours of course as faith as always has this collective element but that also was deeply resonant with the deepest parts of me and i found at goshen that i didn't need to leave the faith into which i had been born which was an anabaptist mennonite faith but there were actually some strong roots within my own faith tradition even as The particular context that I grew up in was really kind of taken with that evangelical fundamentalist focus on the afterlife stuff. But still, there were roots right in my own faith tradition. Like the song that I sang with my Mennonite high school choir, which was based on very famous words from Menno Simons, one of the 16th century Dutch founders of Mennonite faith. True evangelical faith cannot lie sleeping. It clothes the naked. It comforts the sorrowful. It gives to the hungry food. It shelters the destitute. It cares for the blind and lame. The widow and orphan child. That's true evangelical faith. I don't have a dramatic aha moment story to tell about when that shifted for me, even as I said it was both sort of slow and gradual and also felt sort of sudden and cataclysmic I don't have that dramatic story like friends of mine do, who as Pentecostals, they were assemblies of God, um, flirting with Anabaptism and they went to Calcutta and they knew in that experience, I mean, they tell this story as a very dramatic shift for them. They knew they needed a faith that had a little less to say about the eternal state of souls and a little more to say about the earthly well-being of Jesus' kindred, members of Jesus' family, as Jesus says in this text in the NRSB. Their flirtation with Anabaptism turned into an all-out love affair, And then an eventual lifelong covenanted relationship. Speaking of Calcutta, it is said that this text that we just heard from Matthew 25 was Mother Teresa's favorite scripture passage. And it's nothing like a little Mother Teresa name drop to make us all feel unworthy, right? To make this all feel completely unattainable, like we could never possibly get anywhere close to what she did. Or so we think. We've collectively valorized her to the point of being superhuman, but my friends who went to Calcutta and had that dramatic experience worked alongside her. Her feet are made of clay, just like ours. She didn't wear a cape, and she didn't have glow with transcendent glory. Years ago now, it was soon after her death, you may recall the sort of public kerfluffle over her doubts, her faith doubts that came to light. She apparently confided to um, a, another priest who then revealed after her death uh, that she had said to him, Jesus has a very special love for you, but as for me, the silence and emptiness is so great that I look and I do not see, listen and do not hear. And that caused quite a stir publicly to hear these words from one we have so valorized as being the pinnacle of living out a faith. It made lots of us, me included, love and respect her even more for all that she did in spite of the silence, in spite of the doubts. Jesus didn't promise anything about how we would feel, about certainties that we would experience the washing away of doubts and the experience of utter bliss the truth is he simply says in matthew in showing love and sharing blessing with my fam you show love and you share blessing with me
1: in a narrative lectionary
0: podcast so it's a a reflecting on these narrative lectionary texts that we're uh, hearing each sunday in worship Someone told a story of being asked, where is the grace in this text? Because it sounds like works righteousness. It sounds like we're going to be judged based on what we did, how we lived our life. And where's this whole message of grace, that we're all covered in God's grace? And the person who was telling this story shared, there's loads of grace in this text. Abundant grace, we might even proclaim in this Lent of abundance. There's truckloads of grace for the hungry and the thirsty. There's an abundance of grace for the stranger and the naked. There's so much grace for the ill and the imprisoned. There is grace in the form of food and water and clothing and welcome and comfort and companionship. There is plenty of grace to be found here if you look at the right place. In truth, the truth is, Jesus says, twice he says it, the truth is, Those most in need of grace are my kindred. They are members of my family. The truth is, Jesus says, in being family to one another, you are in truth family with me. And this reading bookends really nicely with the Sermon on the Mount and the Beatitudes from way back at the start of Matthew in chapter 5. That's where we started this journey through the gospel of Matthew a couple of months ago now Jesus comes full circle in Matthew from his first teaching to pretty much his last which we've just heard this morning blessed are those who are scorned marginalized demonized blamed suffering sorrowful beaten down that's where he starts And the truth is, he ends, any time you offered comfort, dignity, material and relational needs to my kindred, you did it to me. And in between this first and last teaching, he practiced a whole lot of what he preached. So today, today I hope to follow Jesus, on the earthy path of blessing and grace for the whole lot of us that comes in being family and in being kindred to one another. May it be so.